Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You go, Coco. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. That's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. This is Austin, one of your hosts for Retrograde. And with me is George. What's up, guys? So basically what we do is look at older movies, movies that made an impact, movies that people might describe as their favorites, and we review them. But in addition to reviewing them, we look and see how they were made and the, the movie culture that they were uh, released in. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. No, I think you, I think you got it. That's uh, it's because it's always interesting. You know, you have memories of watching this movie or thinking about them or knowing about them, but that that opinion can change once you actually watch it again. Right. And especially with everything we know and how everything's changing. It's kind of cool to look back and see these films in a new light. Yeah, and even even with us, like now we're you know in our late twenties. Well, I'm in my late twenties, <laughs> uh, and I have just have a different appreciation for films. Like maybe when I was a kid, I didn't, or even a teenager. Like it it changes the way you look at movies when you you, you go back when you're in a different mindset. Absolutely. And this week we're talking about a film that you love, but one I've never seen. Um, and you know close to nothing about you just said that you watched the trailer right yes i did i watched the trailer and the teaser just to have somewhat of a vague idea as to what i'm getting into with this film but previously i'd only known about it from by name and we're actually gonna we're gonna watch it pretty soon yeah and what's the film austin the film is little shop of horrors from 1986 the frank oz remake or rather, adaptation of the stage, uh, the off-Broadway musical, composed by Alan Menken and written by Howard Ashman, which in turn was based off of uh, the Little Shop of Horrors, directed by Roger Corman. Wait, wait. So the mo- so there was a movie by Roger Corman, right? That was turned into a play, right? And then they adapted the mo- the play into a film. Correct. Oh, okay. That's- yeah, but in if you look at the original movie, that original movie isn't you know quite original. It's a, a Faustian tale where basically someone makes a deal with the devil for uh, fame and love, power, and money. It's it's a, there's a long history of movies like this. You know, you have like uh, the Devil's Advocate. You have Bedazzled. You have the picture of Dorian Gray. You have Bedazzled. Did I say Bedazzled? You said Bedazzled. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's basically that trope of the guy, the the character wants something, and they got to make a deal with the devil in order to get it. But things don't turn out the way they exactly want. It, it's oh, another one's like it. Um, the one with Brendan Fraser. Oh, but that you said Bedazzled. Yeah, I said oh, okay. Bedazzled. <laughs> And then there's Monkey Bone too. I don't know if he's what he gets from uh, the monkey. I've I've never seen Monkey Bone. I uh, I only saw remember the trailer where he's like turning his head to one side or the other, and that freaked me out as a kid. But oh, another version is Click with Adam Sandler. Click, that's right. Click is a Click is a, a pseudo version of that where he gets a control 
a remote control that's able to make his life better, but it turns out truly really for the worst, and you find out Christopher Walken is uh, a demon. It's usually someone who's like an intellectual and they are really depressed and sad and then the devil comes along and offers them something uh, in exchange for moral, morally dubious uh, favors. You know, at first the protagonist has some... Um, they're conflicted. They don't want to do it, but they end up doing it because the devil gives them like you know easy easy things to do it's like well it's not so bad if i do this and then that leads to oh it's just a little bit worse than doing the thing i already did and it it just escalates well well, you 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 have to you have to show the characters struggling because at the end of the day it's like why is this fool like this fool clearly this is not going to go well if he if he willy-nilly accepted it you know shit's going to hit the fan and you're not going to feel bad for them but you got to put them in that corner where it's like all right Right. Uh, what am I going to really do? Yeah, like, and what if what it, there's movies where you're just like, oh, they're doing something stupid. I don't sympathize with this character at all. Right. And it takes you out of it. Some people are more like cynical and harsh than others, you know. But um, this movie, I think it does it the best way, almost to its to its detriment. It makes these characters so sympathetic. You just want to root for them. Even though they might be doing morally dubious things. That's interesting. Okay. You said you knew nothing about this movie before I, uh, I, I suggested it? I Yeah, I had no idea. So I had heard the title, Little Shop of Horrors, but I had no idea what... I had. I didn't know if it was a comedy, horror. I definitely didn't think of musical with that little name. Um, I kind of figured it was something along the lines of... Um, what's that cult classic film? Um, Rocky Horror. Yes, I kind of figured... Like it was that, yeah. It was like that, not a musical. I thought it was like that weird film. I that's all I could think about. It was just a weird movie. Mm. Did any images come to mind? None. Like from it, it's, and it's, none. And it's really funny that you say that because I was about to, I was about to say that that no images came up for this film. Have you ever seen like parodies? I'm sure you've seen parodies, but I don't. It's gonna be funny because when you watch the movie, you're gonna see, you're gonna remember, like, oh, that's that scene from Family Guy. <laughs> I. I'm sure I'm sure there are jokes and uh jokes and visual gags that I will recognize but because of other people because of pop culture yeah. uh not because of the film which is funny when you think about right. it right but but that is that is because of the film though it's it's legacy you know like people True. like people who've never seen Star Wars know Darth Vader's Luke's dad and it's because the impact that film had it was like a cultural phenomenon and i think little shop of horrors is also a cultural phenomenon especially now uh, in it when it came out in theaters it, it had a budget of 25 million dollars which was very high for a movie back how then. much was it 25 25 million okay 25 million adjusted for inflation uh, so that would be fifty-eight point five million. Damn! And for context, uh, yeah. Joker had a budget of fifty million. Really? Joker, the the two thousand nineteen Joaquin Phoenix Joker had a budget of fifty. Oh, the budget was fifty-five to seventy million. So it's a rough estimate. This is um, fifty-five million. Yeah, it's on the lower. The same thing with with the Little Shop. It's an estimate. I've seen people say twenty-five billion, and I've seen them say thirty million. It's an estimate, but it's it's comparable to 
a movie like Joker, which is also a Warner Brothers movie. Uh, at the time, Little Shop of Horrors was the most expensive Warner Brothers movie. Like it had a budget, this it had a budget that was bigger than Aliens. Wait, say that again. It had a budget bigger than Aliens. Aliens or Alien? Aliens. Aliens. The sequel, James Cameron's sequel. No to, bullshit. Uh, I don't believe yep. that. Uh, the Aliens budget was eighteen point five million. It also came out in the year nineteen eighty six. So this little movie about a a talking plant has a bigger budget than the sequel to Alien. Correct. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, the budget was eighteen point five. That's a whole five to ten billion million dollars more. On a on a musical comedy. Over a straight-up yes. action film. That's insane. Yes. That would never happen yeah. today. Well, and we're getting cats, so <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I mean, but that's I, that's a good point. But I think the, the reason it had such a uh, big budget was because of the pull that David Geffen had. David Geffen is the producer, right? And the success of the 1982 off-Broadway musical. Oh, because the because the, the play was successful. Right. Yeah. That's that, I'm still I'm still that's amazing that this little plant has more pull than aliens than James Cameron. That dude's spending like at least a billion dollars making his Avatar sequels now, but he couldn't even get <laughs> 20 million for Aliens. Alien was the first Alien was a success on release, right? I believe so. Because they made a they made a fucking sequel, so I imagine that at least they brought in enough money for them to justify the production cost for a second one. Yeah. Uh, do you know how much it made? Little Shop of Heart? Yeah. No, I I have no idea whether if it was a success or not. It was a little underwhelming. They grossed only thirty five million. Really? Thirty thirty nine million. Thirty nine million, uh, from a budget of twenty eight million. You said or twenty five to thirty. Twenty five to thirty. Ooh, they just barely covered the production costs. They might have not even covered marketing. Well, marketing was different back then. Oh. In the 1980s, it was uh, $4 million for marketing. It was average. They might have just broken even with the film. Yeah. But I'm sure... But be, but it's become a cult classic, though, right? It has become a cult classic. That's that's true. Even when it, when it came out, uh, it came out the same year that Siskel and Ebert started doing their show. You know, you know Siskel. And I know Ebert, Siskel. Yeah, right? I know. I know them. Yeah, if you if you don't remember Siskel and Ebert, they were these uh, very popular movie critics that got their own show, and they talked about movies every week, which is kind of what we we're trying to do. Yeah, I'm Ebert. You're Ebert. Oh, <laughs> I. Okay, we'll see. I'm totally Ebert. You're Siskel. I'm sorry. You're gonna bounce in a few <laughs> years. Rest in peace. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. Um, even in his review, Ebert mentioned this is the stuff that cult films are made of. And he said that in 1986, when the movie was in theaters, he just knew that this was going to be mean a lot to a lot of people. Ebert said that? Yeah. Shit, that sounds like me. Basically, you could basically <laughs> see it in the future. Yeah. But I mean, but even from like, even from the poster that I'm staring at right now, it this this has such a... a it's a strange little poster, you know what I mean? Yes. The The movie is, is a musical about a plant, actually an alien plant. <laughs> and Rick Moranis, he plays Seymour. He's like a down-on-his-luck 
a florist. He's like an assistant to a, a flower shop owner. And he finds this plant and he takes it to his, to his shop and he discovers that the plant uh, likes to drink blood. And then the plant starts to talk to him and tell him things and it's, it can sing and it's just great. There's uh, Audrey, played by Ellen Green, is his love interest. She is, she's a really sad, tragic character because she, she, she wants really badly to be a housewife and she dates men that abuse her. Her boyfriend in the movie is played by Steve Martin. <laughs> He's a dentist. <laughs> He's like an Elvis, Elvisy bad boy dentist who's a masochist or no, he's not a masochist. He's a sadist. He likes to inflict pain on people. Oh my God. What the? Yeah. There's also a little scene with Bill Murray and John Candy. So you have John Candy, Steve Martin, Bill Murray, Bill Murray, and James Belushi. Actually, he's in it for a little bit, but depends on which version of the film you watch. I think to date, this is the only movie that has Steve Martin and um, Bill Murray. This is the only movie where they're together. Yeah. It's great. These two, like, comedic icons, you know. In the same film. Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. Well, and just so many other people as well. Uh, you look at the cast and yeah. Rick Moranis. If you, don't know, if you don't know who Rick Moranis is, he's the, the dad in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He is Sigourney Weaver's nerdy roommate or apartment neighbor in ghostbusters that's how that's how i that's how i i always remember him you remember him asking are you the gatekeeper yeah. <laughs> and him just walking around looking crazy yeah and apparently he can sing because he has some really good songs in in this movie that's that's one of the things it's funny that we, we we're talking about a musical it's actually i've never really been crazy about musicals again i i talked a little bit about how i'm not crazy about animation musicals is another one um I did not grow up watching them. I never really, I, except for like the Disney ones, but I don't even know if those really count as musicals. Yeah, I'm, those those count. Like the the guy who wrote the music for this movie and the musical, Alan Menken, he wrote the music for Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Hercules, uh, The Little Mermaid. Dude, this was a bona fide hit then. It should have been. Oh, man. But it only I'm made $39 million. And it's, it's really messed up. Like in 1995, they did a, an interview with the director of the orig- original one, Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of dogging on the movie. He was like, well, I made my movie for 30000 which, you know, if you adjust it for inflation, that's like 250000 and he's like, but he's like, I made my movie for thirty thousand in two days and one night, and people loved it, and people still talk about it. That other movie, it came and went, Ooh. you know, the, all the, the money and stuff they spent on it, and blah blah blah. It's like, dude, no one knows your movie exists anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and it, it's free on pub. It's a, uh, it's in public domain, so you can actually go online and watch the original Little Shop of Horrors from nineteen sixty. Which had a small, um, it was one of the acting debuts of Jack Nicholson. No, really? Yeah. He played the masochist. Because uh, there's, there's a scene in the movie where the dentist is frustrated because he can't inflict pain on the, the masochist character. He's like, does this hurt? And he's like, yeah, but I like it. And he's like, well, you're not supposed to like it. Yo. And that role is played by Bill Murray. 
in the 1986 version. Oh, so wait, so Jack Nicholson likes to inflict pain, but the guy he's... He... No, no, Jack, Jack Nicholson likes to have pain inflicted upon oh, him. Oh, so he's not the dentist. But, no, he's the masochist. Okay. The sadist is someone who takes pleasure from inflicting pain, and the masochist is someone who takes pleasure from having pain inflicted upon them. Okay, because I, I saw the trailer for... I saw the trailer for Little Shop of Horrors, and there's a scene where he's like... Or Bill Murray's like, I need a deep, deep root canal. And I was like, Yeah. I thought that was oddly sexual. <laughs> I Yes, it's like that on purpose. Okay. I was I wasn't thinking about like I need pain. I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. Let's go. I heard a history of dental problems. Shut up. Yes, doctor. This this movie's just getting stranger and stranger. It is very strange, and the original, like, 1960s version was pretty popular, well-liked, well well-liked enough to have a musical adaptation years in later. 1982. 22 years later for the musical, and then four years after that, they turned it into a movie. So I think David Geffen really liked the movie, and he went to Frank Oz. You know who Frank Oz is, right? Yeah. Did he do The Dark Crystal? He did do The Dark Crystal, but probably his most famous role is Yoda. Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. And Miss Piggy. Oh, okay. And Grover and a bunch of the Muppets. He's one of uh, Jim Henson's friends. He's like one of his guys, you know? One of his go-tos. Yeah. That is super cool. Yeah. So, I love this movie. I first saw it, I think, when I was um, uh, early teens, pre-teen. I saw it on TV on like a Halloween you know, like in, in during October, a lot of cable channels will just air a bunch of Halloween movies. Or yeah, they'll have they'll play they'll they'll have like marathons. Yeah, and Little Shop of Horrors was one of them. And I remember Rick Moranis, and I was like, hey, that's the dad from Honey I Shrunk the Kids and Ghostbusters. I like him. I liked all the music, like the songs. I like the puppetry of Audrey too. That's the the plant's name. The plant's uh, name is Audrey. Yeah. The plant's name is Audrey Two, <laughs> because because Rick Moranis Seymour is in love with Audrey. <laughs> in the original Roger Corman movie, he calls the plant Audrey Junior. <laughs> so already Audrey Two is inherently funnier than Audrey Junior. Yeah. The, the oh, by the way, the voice of Audrey Two is he's a lead singer from the Four Tops. Four Tops. Yeah, so like an old uh, like Motown kind of band yeah see that's not ringing any bells at all this is this whole episode is just me being confused about a talking plant. <laughs> the the lead singer was uh, levi stubbs he's the voice of audrey and he he has like a really Wait, so like, so the plant's a, named after a girl but it's a it's voiced by a guy i don't know if the plant's gender is ever identified this is i'm kind of excited to see this uh if you don't know the four tops um you know that song sugar pie honey bunch no. I can't help myself. No, that doesn't ring a bell. This episode is just highlighting how bad at pop culture <laughs> I I am. I mean, it's it's a difference in, in pop culture because I grew up, like, my dad is, is half black, half Japanese, right? So I grew up with a lot of Motown CDs in our, like, CD cabinet. So I knew a lot of these, like, The Temptations. You know The Temptations. I, I do know The Temptations. I think maybe that was why I kind of liked this movie because the, the music sounded similar to music that I liked already, like Motown sound. Um, anyway, so I saw the movie on TV, right? 
And then I went to school and then there was this kid, uh, his name was Kenneth. He was kind of like a, a funny class clown kind of guy. And in class, randomly, he, he just went, feed me. And I just started busting up laughing because I saw that movie. I knew where that was from. And, he's, and we shared that connection throughout middle school. Like whenever I'd see him, he'd be like, feed me. Oh, that's funny. That's cute. Yeah. So those are my memories of, of the movie. And I saw it again when I was older and I was like, man, this movie is great. The just like the the puppetry, the, the practical effects and the, the songs, the performances, the sets, like the, the it's an eighties movie, but it's trying to recapture the the early sixties, late fifties era. You know, there's a song where Audrey's talking about her ideal housewife fantasy, you know, and she she sings about an enormous twelve inch screen. It's like a, a TV that they would watch. 12 inches, wow. The time is flying. <laughs> how, how things have changed. Yeah, and even in the 80s, 12 inch TVs is pretty small. And in the movie, like the, the shot that reveals the TV, it's like, man, that's a tiny ass TV. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I saw this movie earlier because it sounds great but and it, it was well received it i mean it was so i'm looking at the rotten tomatoes it was well received Nin- but there's like a big thing about the ending i'm not sure which ending which version i want to show you whether it's the director's cut which is sim- more uh similar to the original broadway off broadway production of the show yeah or the the studio did test screenings in san jose and a test screening is just showing the movie to an audience, getting the audience reaction, and then they'll know how to like market or edit their film, right? They tested the movie before it came out in San Jose, and it had this ending from the, the off-Broadway show. They hated it. They hated it. They rejected the ending. So Frank Oz and David Geffen were like, well, let's, let's try it in L.A., and it only did slightly better. So they had to go back and do reshoots and make a new ending for the movie. How different is the ending from the... It's uh, drastically different. Really? It's drastically different. It was a $25 million budget, right? Mm -hmm. I've seen that it took a year to film the original ending. And I've seen it quoted from $1 million to $5 million. The ending alone. The ending alone. I kind of want to see that. Do you want to see the original ending? Then I'll... Okay, so I'll show you the original ending and I'll show you the uh the end, yeah the, the the studio the theatrical cut i want to see both of them i want to compare and contrast because i want to i'm curious because yeah. again we 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 work a bit in uh, test screenings you and i and we we've seen kind of how some of these how did some of these reactions can cause studios to sometimes change things up or keep things the same so i'm really curious to see what led audience or trying i even want to try to see what audiences thought of the original ending and frank oz mentions how everyone was loving it until the ending happens and then it's he said it, he called it an ice box well, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll we'll get into that when like, we get to the more research part of the the second part of the episode so the film did really well review wise it has a 90 percent on rotten tomatoes but that's out of 51 critics the older the film though the less reviewers nowadays like toy story 4 has like 
300 reviews because there's yeah. that many more critics. Audience score has a 79. That's based off of 181,532. Pretty sizable number. They, it's like Ebert said, they had, they're cult hits and they're cult because they they cater to a specific audience. But it might take a while for that audience to really grow and to you you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Fight Club is that way. I know um, the Room was like that. Uh, yeah. uh, Little Shop of or no, uh, Rocky Horror Rocky Horror Picture Rocky Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show. I feel like this is a film that yeah. definitely critics like. Oh, this is great. We we get it. And audiences were like, I. Most audiences may have at the time were like, I. Mm-hmm. Don't get what they're trying to do. Yeah. This was the year of, uh, you know, Aliens came out that year. The Fly, Blue Velvet, Platoon, Top Gun, Crocodile Dundee, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Stand By Me, Big Trouble in Little China. Labyrinth also came out this year. Mm-hmm. Little, I'm, I'm curious how little tro- Big Trouble in Little China did. Because that seems like another film that's like kind of a little bit sillier. doesn't take itself too seriously. Oof. What happened? Yeah, that was a. It was another uh, box office bomb. Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, twenty-five million uh, budget, box office eleven point one. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Have you seen Big Trouble in Little no, China? No, I've never seen it. That movie is really good. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm I'm excited. I walk into this kind of blind. We'll see how it goes. Here's hoping that I I walk out really really happy. We'll see. It's it's one of my favorites, top ten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say that a lot throughout this podcast. Uh, I, I might even say that more than ten times for more than ten different films. I was gonna say that. <laughs> I was like, you might just say this a lot more than ten times. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We will see you in a second. You think this is all coincidence, baby? The sudden success around here, depressed coverage. Look, you're a plant. An inanimate object. Does this look inanimate to you, punk? If I can talk and I can move, who's to say I can't do anything I want? Hello, everybody. We are back from watching Little Shop of Horrors from 1986, the musical version directed by Frank Oz. And George, how do you feel? Because this is the first time you've ever seen this movie. Yes. First time I've ever seen it. I actually had no knowledge of this movie before I walked in. I didn't know it was about a plant. I didn't know it was like a horror comedy music. I had no idea. Not nothing at all. Um, so what did you think of the movie? I know you're not a big musical fan for some reason. Yeah, I, I for some, I, I never got into musicals outside of like the Disney ones, um, which is funny. Like I feel like those early Disney's are the complete exception. Because earlier I said I'm not a big, I'm not crazy about animation. Mm. I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was good, but I'm not like over the moon about it. Uh-oh. I think for musicals, it really, it's, I don't know what it is. It just, the, the musicals that I love are like La La Land, which a lot of people don't even consider a musical. Yeah, it's like <laughs> partial credit. Exactly. And there's this old French New Wave film called Umbrellas of, um, I forget the name of the, like, I can't pronounce the name of the country that they're in, but it's the, it's the, it's a French New Wave movie about umbrellas and the guy goes to war and I like that one a lot, but I don't know. I'm for some, like, I'm, I'm pretty basic when it comes to it. If a film can elicit like a strong reaction, like it's, my friend said it best. He's like, you know, you could break down films objectively and you could figure out, well, the technique, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right. But in the end of the day, you just, it's, it's whether how, it's how much you're 
it's just a gut feeling really mm-hmm. like it's a gut feeling that i like norbit like it is it isn't it, it, like a lot of people do not like it but i love it because uh-huh. it's just a gut feeling like that's just my first initial reaction to it and with this film i was like i like it but it doesn't take my soul away it doesn't mm. you know it doesn't dark night me when you're watching that movie it's like <gasps> you know or la la land la la land's mm. like the when i saw it in theaters it just took my breath away and i was like i love this film um but yeah i liked it but the things i like about it aren't really the musical stuff except for the first song which after we were after we watched it together i kept humming the opening yeah that's a great way to start a movie by it the way it's a great way to start a movie but it and it starts something that we're doing a lot in this podcast is we talk about like the first 10 minutes of a movie mm-hmm. and like i'm going to say that like you can judge whether a movie's going to be good or not from the first 10 to 15 minutes. Steven Soderbergh said in an interview that the first three shots of a film lets him know whether the director knows what they're doing or not. And boy, does Frank Oz know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. Like the very first thing you see is like this celestial like image, right? You see mm-hmm. like this, it looks like a galaxy stars and whatever. And you have like that, that like Star Wars-esque like crawl telling you about in the future, in or in a decade not too far from our own, there's the human race was threatened by this extraterrestrial threat, right? And it's it started in the place. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, most of these things come from the places you'd leak the spectre, and then it comes in with the yes. piano, and it's the wide shot of the of the shop of the flower shop. Yeah, but like this, the celestial image, like it it's broken by a bottle being thrown into a. a nasty like puddle by like a pothole full of water yeah and then like it's a it's a bottle of alcohol in a brown bag it's just like the just trash you know yeah. and it's like oh it's that's gross water yeah <laughs> that's not stars and i think last jedi does the same thing where you think you're looking at stars but then ray's hand comes in and he's like oh it's a rock yeah the trailer right yeah the trailer did yeah, that. for yeah last jedi mm-hmm. yeah yeah do you want to summarize the movie real quick for people who haven't seen Little Shop of Horrors? Oh, if you if you haven't seen Little Shop of Horrors, we're going to get... The ending is going to be a big chunk of this episode. So oh, I, it, so, okay, look, again, I, I and as someone who is not didn't know about it that much, if you do decide to watch it, you're going to watch the regular version, but you should definitely look up the director's cut, that because that ending is bonkers. And we're it's a, it's, it's a fucking trippy ending. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it, it blew my goddamn mind. It, imagine actually, if you saw that in theaters in 1986. Yeah. Nobody had ever seen anything like that. It blew my mind. And I'm watching the movie 30 years after the fact. If you're going to watch the film, just know that we're going to spoil all of it. And the ending is going to be spoiled. And it is bonkers. But we're going to talk great. about, for the beginning, we're just going to talk about the studio cut. Uh, did you want to summarize the film just a little bit? Okay. So, it's set in the skid row. It doesn't really say where, but it's like this dirty poor part of town and this assistant florist he lives in the basement of the the florist shop the the florist kind of took him in as a son but really to you know not pay him (laughs) and then uh so he's seymour seymour's the assistant he finds this plant that he thinks is really unusual it Strange and unusual plants are his hobby, and he takes it in, and he learns that the plant feeds off of human blood. And the more he feeds it, it grows. He's using his own fingers at first, uh, and then the plant starts to talk, and it tells him 
to go out and find someone to feed him. He names the plant Audrey too because he has a crush on Audrey, <laughs> and, and she's has, she has like a really sad backstory. She's like the victim of abuse, and she doesn't have a lot of I think the word is self image they use in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, so she doesn't really see the value in herself, and she doesn't think that she deserves someone like Seymour, who's, like, a nice guy. And we're not saying that ironic. We're not saying that ironically. Like, he is he is a nice guy. Like, yeah. Like, the regular defini definition of it. Yeah, and, like, the opening of the movie, it sets up this place, Skid Row, which is where they, they're all living, as this place of, like, inescapable poverty. Like, there's a line in the... In the song that Seymour has, he says, depression is just status quo, right? It's it's really, really sad. And it's it's still kind of funny, too. It's weird. It goes from tragedy to comedy, like... Instantly, every, yeah. Well, yeah it, in the, it, within the same song. Yeah. There's a part where he's, like, praying that he can get out of there, and then he's, like, walking in an alley, and then you see that this alley, there's all these, like, homeless guys climbing the fence, and... Every time it's like, that's kind of creepy. It's, it kind of scares me every time I, I watch them. I forget about that part. It's like, ooh. And they're all like singing in harmony with each it's it's great. It's great. And one really cool thing about that opening is you have Audrey and you have Seymour singing about their problems, but they never see each other in the song. No, in Skid Row, in the song. Yeah. 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 So they, they work with each other, they know each other, but they don't see each other. As a means to escape Skid Row. Yeah. Well, it, and that and that kind of deals with the with the point of the film. It's like selling your soul basically to get yeah. out of this ec economic uh, poverty. And Seymour finds this plant, and he he starts exploiting this plant, or the uh, shop owner starts exploiting the plant to get, bring in new customers. Yeah, they they just put the plant in the window, and it attracts customers and they and they instantly because they're there. They're like, well, I might as well buy roses. Yeah. And as the plant grows bigger. The people going to the shop grows, and then it gets to the point. And like spoilers, Seymour yeah. does kill people. Well, he does. He he facilitates their death. You he know, facilitates. Like, he doesn't kill. Uh, well, this is this is gonna go into spoiler territory. So he kill. He doesn't kill the the dentist. Her her abusive Steve boyfriend. He kind of lets him die. Yeah. Steve Martin in this movie is a sadist or a semi sadist. Yeah. <laughs> which is funny that he's playing a dentist, someone who yeah causes harm. Mm -hmm. And who, who else is he? Oh, he feeds him the shop owner as well. Yeah, Mr. Mushnick. Mr. Mushnick. And then again, eventually gets to the point where Audrey 2 is too powerful. And in the studio cut, in the regular version of the film, right when Audrey 2 is about to kill Audrey 1. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seymour uh, saves her. They, there's a huge final fight. And they destroy the and they destroy Audrey too. They act, they get out of Skid Row. They go into this beautiful home in the suburbs. There's an entire song that Audrey too has yeah, about, or her, Audrey has about the suburbs. Yeah, Audrey has the dream to go somewhere that's green with with Seymour, and they have like little kids that look. And that's like them. and that's key what you just said right there that she wants to go somewhere that's green. Yeah, because we'll come back to that. Yeah, and they get out of Skid Row. They go to this beautiful house, and in the foreground, you you kind of see this young Audrey three plant and as long uh -huh. as you don't feed it that's the whole thing don't feed the plants yeah which we'll come back to later yeah so that's this is the regular studio version of the film hmm. and this is what we're going to talk about for a bit now so right off the bat i am down for the songs i love uh the little Sh little shop of horrors like the title track and then skid row i think is really good because it 
shows you how desperate these characters are. Shows how desperate everyone is. Yeah. And, like, I didn't know Rick Moranis could sing. Yeah, he definitely doesn't look like the guy that can sing. Mm-hmm. He kind of looks like a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's the shtick, but he sings really well. Like, there's a rumor that they almost got somebody else. Tom Cruise. No way. Yeah. They really? wanted Tom Cruise. My man Tom. But... That like there was an interview in 2017 when they were doing like the re-release of the Blu-ray or or not the Blu-ray, Blu-ray was 2012. But there's an interview and then when Frank Oz mentions this in the interview, it, the article says to, a representative from Cruz denies this. Really? Yeah. But deni- Frank Oz or denies that he was interested in it. Damn. Yeah. It's it's weird because you know it's movie it's like 30 years ago, right? There's differing like stories. Like if you see what Alan Menken has to say. It's kind of different from what, uh, like, Frank Oz's memory is. Mm-hmm. So the truth must be somewhere in between. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how this stuff is. But the one one thing that was, like, corroborated frequently was Audrey was almost played by Cindy Lauper. I don't know who that is. You know who Cindy, you know girls want to have fun. Yeah. Girls just want to have That's Cindy Lauper. The singer? Yeah, because the producer wanted... Like star power in the movie, but could she act though? She she's no uh, Ellen Green, because Ellen is fantastic in this. Ellen Ellen Green. Is I'm not great. too familiar with Ellen's filmography, but at least in the film, I bought everything that she was doing because she's played the character for years. She was on the Off Broadway production. Oh, so they actually brought someone who was like yeah, but it's crazy that she wasn't even the first choice. I mean, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like. I, Again, we, we're talking about the the movie system, man. Yeah. It's, it's about who could bring in the money. Yeah. And 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 that's why they fucking changed the ending. <laughs> the, it, it's a giant circle. Mm-hmm. This movie was, they got through so many hurdles. And they yeah. got the right people. And then they just yeah. botched it at the end. Yeah. The David Geffen, who was one of the backers of the original 1982 off-Broadway production... And the music producer and the guy that owns the studio that, that the partnership with Warner Brothers that would eventually make this movie. And they got I don't even think Frank Oz was the first choice for director. It's one it's crazy how those things just kind of yeah. align. Yeah. And you look back, it's like how different it could have been. Yeah. And, and it's, even in like the eighty two production, Ellen Green wasn't the first choice. For the Broadway? For the Broadway show. Damn. But that she persevered. She got through yeah, it. Yeah, and she just made this memorable performance. Oh, yeah. She, I think in terms of acting, I think she's probably the one of the best ones. Oh, yeah. I think she's I think she's my favorite. Yeah. Not knowing about this film, I didn't know that this was based off a play that was based off a movie. Based off a movie that was based off a short story. That was based off another short story. That's based off of this really old Faustian legend that was from the 1500s. Gee, so the nineteen sixty version was made by Robert Robert Cormick. Or, <laughs> uh, what's his name? It's Roger Corman. Roger Roger Robert Tomato Tomato Tomato. It gets toma- complicated. Like, tomato so, Potato. It's all the same. So the Roger Corman movie uh, Audrey Two was Audrey okay. Audrey Junior. But it's the same. It's the same premise. Then it's the plant that grows. Yes, but the plant doesn't sing, and the plant. Like, if you look at the original puppet, it was just, like, a Venus flytrap. Mm. You know, it, it never, like... Like, the, the puppetry in uh, Little Shop of Horrors, the 86 version, is incredible. Yeah, it is. It is insane. 
It like, looked really good. It looks. It still looks really good. Yeah. Like the the lip movements and everything, and the way that they got that to look as good as it does is insane. And again, you you have to think it. He has a song, Aud- or Audrey too has a song. Has two songs, and and they're, so they're lip- in others. So they're lip syncing. Yes. And it look the lip syncing looks really good. Do you know, how, you want to tell? You? Let's get into the puppetry of Audrey too. Go for it. So there's six different puppets. Six different animatronic puppets were built, but there's like eight different like sizes in the movie mm-hmm. of Audrey. So <laughs> towards the end of the movie, when Audrey's really big, Audrey or Audrey 2's really big, they actually rebuilt the flower shop. They made a smaller version of the of the flower shop to make Audrey two to make big. Audrey two look bigger. Wow. Okay. They built an entire second flower shop. Guess how many puppeteers operated this thing? How many? According to Rick Moranis, 55. 55? 55. That's insane. Yeah. That kind of intense puppetry had never been done before. They it, broke precedence. It's funny. So, real quick, what was the budget for this thing? 25. 25, 25 million, million. Which translates to how much? In, uh, I believe it was for, I think we did it in the first half yeah, of the I, episode. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> It was. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It was the most expensive Warner Brothers movie uh, at the time, which is insane. Well, it's insane for a lot of reasons, but it, it's um, it's funny because at the I mean, you you take the premise that you take the the concept to heart, and it's just like, all right, it's a talking plant that you know feeds blood. And you're like, okay, it can't be that expensive, and they really just shoot. There aren't that crazy locations not until the end no it's all it was all done on the soundstage in england and even i could tell i was like yeah that's soundstage they don't really hide it either even like the 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 horizon you know that's not a real sun even when audrey has that dream so of somewhere that's green that's not real grass that's not a real like blue sky it's very it's very fake yeah it's almost it's almost it, it is and it's very obviously fake and it's intentional. So yeah. you so you look at this and you're like, wow, this this couldn't have been that expensive. And when you look at Audrey too, it's like, oh, a good chunk of the money went on Audrey too. And then you see the ending, the original one, and you're just like, what the? F- oh my god! So fifty eight million. Remember we talked about this because yeah. you, you mentioned the Joker budget was like fifty five. Yeah, fifty to seventy million. And you look at, I mean, you look at Joker, and it's just funny because it's. These films don't look, don't seem to be that expensive up front, but there's so much that goes behind it, you know. Mm-hmm. And with with Little Shop of Horrors, a bulk of that money probably went to Audrey too. Yeah, thirty people under were controlling the vines, mm-hmm. uh, and those vines were not marionetted, which means there wasn't a string above them. They were controlling it from the bottom, mm-hmm. and they can't really see like what they're doing, but they're still doing gags. Like if you look at the vines during the songs. Like the, he's making a, a muscle thing, and he's it's it's crazy, and it was really hard to move those lips to get them synced up to the songs. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they shot at sixteen frames per second, and they had they had like a to train the actors to act and sing slow, so that they could speed it up and make it look natural. What? Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, that's I wouldn't even I wouldn't even think that that, that was a possibility. So they shot the that whole sequence in 16 frames per second. The songs. Yeah, the song. The Feed Me. 
which was, I think it was like 20 people operating the puppet at that time. So uh, Rick Moran said there was four cables on the upper lip, four cables on the bottom. And you have to have all these people like on the same page. And they had a core group of four puppeteers that operated the head and then five or six under the stage operating the vines. This was for like the feed me section. But then for like Mean Green Mother towards the end, it was 55. So they like the they had the song playing off on the background, but they had to like harmonize it up so that it didn't sound weird to the actors. And they just learned how to act really slow so that they don't break the illusion that this plant isn't moving. You know, yeah. At that speed. Yeah. That I would have never even and like sixteen frames. Like that's such an that's such a specific frame mm. frame limit. Yeah. But it's it makes sense though. You can't yeah. do you can't do much slower than that, or else it might be too jarring when you speed it up. Yeah, when it's projected at twenty four. Yeah, damn. It's wild. The stage, in, the studio in England is called Pinewood Studios, and one of those like studios there is like the 007 stage. Yeah, where they used a lot of James Bond stuff was filmed there. That was where they sung um, "Suddenly Seymour." That oh. soundstage, the 007 soundstage. They shot aliens there too. They did shoot aliens yeah. there, and aliens had a smaller budget than this movie. It and they came out the same year. Yeah, same year. I that, that was just a little fun factoid, and I'm like, I'm like, aliens cost cheaper than this, and that movie looks way more expensive. Yeah, it looks sure. way more expensive when you. I mean, I don't think the puppetry for the for the for the alien queen was as comprehensive as this. No, because this one had to sing, yeah. and da- and it had a, a personality. Yeah, you know, it wasn't just mindless monster. This was like a playful monster. Yeah. Feed me, Tui. You talked. You you open your trap. You you sing and you sing. Feed me, Crabon. Feed me now. Uh, I can't. I'm starving. Was, feed me. Feed me, Seymour. Tough titty. <laughs> It's if I can talk and I can move, who's to say I can't do anything I want? <laughs> Dude, Levi Stubbs was the voice actor, right? He's the lead singer from the Four Tops. And he's fantastic. He's so good. And because of that test screening, they wanted to swap him out for Rodney Dangerfield. I, I, I don't know who that is. You know who that is. Who's Rodney Dangerfield? He's a oh, new respecter. Uh, Winter, summer, spring, and fall. I'm always up against the wall. What's the matter, Rodney? Uh, I don't get no respect at all. It's just rapping Rodney. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. What the? Why? Because he was really hot at the time. They- Can you imagine him singing those songs? There's no way Mean Green Mother would be nominated for an Oscar. This movie was nominated for an Oscar? Two Oscars. What? Visual effects, which it lost to Aliens. Okay, I mean, that's... I mean, because we didn't get the real ending yeah. in theaters. but And also, uh, best original song. Because for, for to, the rules are, like, you have to write a song for the movie. You can't just, like, use the songs from the, the musical, because those mm-hmm. are written for the musical. So they came up with a new song, Mean Green Mother, which is the song that... Audrey 2 has to see more. Yeah! 
that song was nominated for an Oscar. It's the first Oscar-nominated song that contained profanity and sung by a villain. Yo, that's pretty great. Yeah. So before that, no villain song ever was nominated for an Oscar. That's pretty. Oh, I like that. Yeah. But it, that just shows you how lost. much charisma Levi had in the role. Yeah. He's a villain, but you really like him. Yeah. Do you know what song won that year? What song? Take My Breath Away from Top Gun. Oh. <laughs> I like that. I like that song. I do like that song, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you know what? Sorry, Lil Shop. I, I, I gotta give it to my boy Tom. I know he didn't sing the song, but still. Yeah. It's in a Tom Cruise movie, so. Uh. <laughs> but damn, two, no, two Oscar nominees. But it, diff- it definitely deserved them, though. Yeah. It, oh, man, it just got stuck in a good year, though. Yeah. There's a bunch of uh, cool stuff that year. I think the highest grossing movie that year was Top Gun, but it's also the year of. Aliens. That boggles my mind that Aliens had a uh, smaller budget than this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Rodney Dangerfield movie that year was Back to School. Labyrinth also came out that year. Another movie featuring puppets. Uh, Man, people were really into puppets at some point. Yeah, like the Jim Henson group. They really took off, you know, with, with the Muppets and everything. One more thing about the puppet. So you know that scene or that shot where the Audrey 2 says, I'm going to bust your balls. And she <laughs> shoots the vine out uh-huh. and it almost hits Seymour's balls. Uh-huh. So the whip pan, they took, they swapped Rick Moranis out for a puppet because here's the quote. Our aim was not that good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, was, I was actually thought, thinking about that. I was like, yeah. how do they get that? Yeah. And when you look and see how close he is to Audrey, like singing in Audrey's two's face, right? Mm-hmm. Like that that's a really heavy puppet. Like by the end, that puppet weighed a ton. So if it fell on anyone. Yeah. If it fell on the puppeteers. Yeah. Luckily there's fifty people controlling it. Ooh. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty clever. That's that's the thing that these movies do. Like they just had they had to find their ways around all these restrictions and make it safe too because yeah they could have just put rick Moranis there but it's like oof. it's funny because i think in 80 around that same year there was the the twilight zone movie do you know about the twilight zone movie no um, tower of terror or? no 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 the the twilight zone movie i don't remember that uh, richard no landis not max landis's dad yeah because there was a twilight zone movie where there's a big like helicopter scene where the helicopter crashed and like decapitated the actor and the two child actors there he almost directed this movie oh my god what this movie's just a bunch of close calls with other people yeah that was in 1983 the twilight zone movie that's wild yeah i think jennifer jason lee's dad was the guy that was decapitated Mm. yeah but like this the thing about Frank Oz that I got from watching a lot of interviews is that he really cared about you know letting his collaborators shine. The the Bill Murray scene, all of his lines were ad libbed. Yeah, I could, <laughs> I could, I I figured as much. Mm-hmm. Steve Martin, he he plays the dentist character. The dentist character in the musical was more of a Fonzie type, mm-hmm. and Steve Martin was like, I don't want to do that. I want to do Elvis. He's like. Yeah, I hired you to be Steve Martin. 
Yeah. Like, do your thing. And that, that scene is still funny. It's fantastic. And Steve Martin's a horrible character, but he plays it so well. Yeah, the way he, like, he presses the, the pump to, like, lower the seat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just any way, he, anything he does. Yeah. When he lets, when he has Audrey push the bike back. Oh, my God. And he just snaps and points. Yeah. <laughs> he's a horrible, horrible character. Awful. You really want him to die. Yeah. So, so when he does that, it's like, oh, okay, like he's a piece of shit. But it's so funny, too. It's, it's He's like, he's Seymour has a gun on him. And he's like, hey, buddy, I need you to help me. I might die. But I guess. No, I guess you wouldn't, would you? <laughs> and he starts to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that whole that whole song where Steve Martin's song is singing the dentist song yeah and the guy's like hanging from the roof because he's so scared <laughs> and I just I love the fact that they're like alright so we need someone who inflicts pain on people but legally like it's not it's not illegal it's like dentist and yeah. I'm like yes and I love how they never say what he is until that song yeah he's like riding on his motorcycles leather jacket well you think he's like just... a greaser kind of you think yeah. he's a, you think he's a greaser yeah and then you find out he's a dentist like he hold takes off on his, his jacket and then you see the dentist gear and then he starts he punches the nurse <laughs> which is something that Steve Martin added to the role <laughs> and then the, twisting the little girl's doll's head mm-hmm. that's something he added too that, it's funny because that reveal, his reveal is probably one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Because it's like a reversal and a reversal and a reversal. It's like, oh, my boyfriend's awful. And it's like, oh, it's Steve Martin. Oh, it's Steve Martin as a greaser. Oh, it's Steve Martin as a greaser who's a dentist. Okay. Oh, wait. He likes to hurt people. That's why he's a dentist. Yeah. It's just, it's so okay. great. Yeah. That whole, I think that's my second favorite song. Dentist. Yeah. I think the... The, my favorite one is the opening, Den Dentist, and uh, I like uh, Audrey 2 songs. Yeah. Like I said, he's trying to get his people to shine. He made Alan um, Menken, who's the writer of the – he's like the composer. And Howard Ash Howard Ashman, he's the writer. He's This is the only screenplay he's written or he's given credit for because he died when he was 40. He died pretty young and worked on – Little Shop of Horrors together. Then they worked on The Little Mermaid and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. Damn. Yeah. So they made he made them write a bunch of different songs for Audrey too. The one that Frank Oz liked was Mean Green Mother. Yeah. Because like that's the only one that made sense like narratively. And it and it's great too. It's great. It was not even for an Oscar. So yeah. doing something right. How do you feel about the Greek chorus? The the urchins. Oh, they they were fan. No, they're great. They were fantastic. So that's like one of when Frank Oz was originally pitched this movie. He was like, I don't know, I don't know how to make that into a movie. And then when he started thinking about how to use the street urchins, mm-hmm. it got him like more interested in the project, and he ended up taking it. Obviously, I love how you, they're almost like supernatural beings because they they see everything. They're a part of almost every song. And they're in the scenery, you know, like they, their dresses change. There are actually characters in the movie. There's like these little kids that they don't go to school, (laughs) but then within that, I think the, the Skid Row song, right. You see one of them say that like, oh yeah, we're from Skid Row. You can't like get anywhere from Skid Row. And then it goes to the old woman walking to camera. Mm -hmm. And then as we, we pull back, we see that same street urchin 
but now she's in a dress and she's singing beautifully. Yeah. You know? All within the same shot. So, like, did she, like, run around behind the camera and change really quick? That might have. <laughs> Or that might, have, or that might have been some, some, uh, some mad, some filmmaking trickery. Yeah, that, that's that's a beautiful thing about film. Mm-hmm. The it's a it's a magic show. It is a magic, and you show. don't know how they pulled it off. Yeah, the and dude what, that designed the puppet, Lyle Conway, to that when the Audrey two first drinks blood and starts to grow a little bit, that same camera trick was uh, inspired by a, the old uh, the magician silent film director Millier. Oh, George Millier. Yeah. He cited him as a reference for yeah. It's for it's that fu- it's it's a it's it's a magic trick. It's a magic yeah. show, and yeah. when it's when I think it's funny trying to figure out like how do they do it, but when you actually see behind the curtain, it's like oh that's how they did it. A lot of hard work and cleverness. Yeah, in that in I, I can appreciate a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it, um, but just gut feeling wise, just to go back to the opinion real quick, it's just I can appreciate this movie. I'm happy this movie's made, and I like some of the details. Yeah. But as a whole, I can't say I love it. Some of the middle of the film just kind of was like, okay, I, I, it's a little predictable. Yeah, it's a very familiar tale. Yeah. Someone making a deal with the devil and then... Which isn't a bad thing. Things. Which isn't a bad thing. I don't want to hold that against that. I don't want to say it's a bad movie because of the predictability. Because it, it, it's... The it's familiarity. Not a, yeah, the fami- yeah, it's familiar. And, and it's honestly kind of... I'm being a hypocrite because I'm like, oh, I like La La Land, but that's a familiar story as well. Like, yeah. you kind of know where it's gonna, where it's headed. Even musical fans are like, yeah, no, I could see it from a mile away. But maybe it's, maybe it's unfair of me just because I'm not a musical mm-hmm. fan. It's just not, I'm not a musical guy. Um, and I'm not, I don't really, I've never been to a Broadway show, so I can't mm-hmm. really appreciate that aspect. So this of- isn't actually a, well, it became a Broadway show, but there's a difference between off Broadway and Broadway, and then there's off off Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I because I, I didn't know this at the time. I was, when I was doing the research, I was like, why does everybody say off Broadway? And then I learned that off Broadway, like, like there's Broadway, right? And then there's like the streets that are adjacent to Broadway, and those streets are have smaller houses. It's like it from between a hundred to four hundred ninety nine people. Okay. Because if you go above four hundred ninety nine, you have to pay. The actors, they're in a different it's income t- it's bracket. It's tears. Yeah. And then there's off-off-Broadways, which yeah, are, it's like, those are adjacent <laughs> off-off-Broadway. Yeah. Uh, and because these theaters are really small, this plant, Audrey 2, seemed a lot bigger, right? Mm. And like by the end, the plant's vines would go into the audience. Nice. And they would hang stuff from the ceiling. So that, to imply that the audience, the audience the, the audience is is uh next yeah they're gonna be eaten too see i i, I love that i love that detail i love yeah. i love hearing about stuff like that and i love the ingenuity that goes behind mm-hmm. it it's it's pretty neat but i i think what would have really made this film memorable for me like what would have made it stand out even more would have been the original ending you want to talk yes. about the ending you want to talk because this is it's a shit show and i i got some opinions okay so before movies like this are released, they tend to do these test screenings, right? To see what's working, what's not, what they can do to better market the movie. The questions are usually like, what did you think of the film? Would you recommend it? What was slow? What was fast? What was yeah. your favorite? So what was the, your favorite? the recommend part is what Frank Oz talks about in his uh, interviews. He said, you need to have a 55% recommend in order for the film to be successful. If you're under that, you should worry. And this movie got a 13% on the original ending. And we're going to talk about 
how film is seen by audiences compared to how Broadway shows are seen by their respective audience because there is a discrepancy there and that discrepancy leads to the huge fucking change that is in this movie yeah because it's okay so so that's so that's just a recap of test screenings so Little Shop of Horrors had an ending and it had a test screening to see how it played out audiences were digging the. they were loving the songs until something happens and Frank Oz described the theater as an icebox. Towards the end of the film. Towards the end of the movie. There was, like, no reaction from them. And then when they got the cards, I guess they were on a plane or something reading the cards. And he was next to David Geffen. And David Geffen's, like, going over the cards, like, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. <laughs> it was, and it was going beautifully. It people, was. People were digging it, and it's the ending. Yeah. And I'm the, the hammer came down. You said that the film needed to have a 55. It had a 13 recommended. Yeah. So, I mean, Frank Oz really believed in this ending. The the special effects involved, it was a different different Conway. So there's uh, Lyle Conway who designed Audrey 2. But this ending sequence, it, it, I'm getting that it was Richard Conway that worked on the, the moving pieces there. Took him a, a year. A year to design year. the ending. This ending is huge. It's so. It's a. If you watch it, it's a monumental piece of like achievement in terms yeah. of visual and special effects. That and you say a year. I'm like, that's amazing. Like you could yeah. see the blood, sweat, and tears into yeah. this. And a million dollars. And the studio said, "Fuck that." Well, the Frank Oz emailed the. I think it was Entertainment Weekly. And he said, that wasn't what happened. The studio didn't put pressure on me. I knew I had to make the change. I mean, I guess I mean, it's a it's a story of he said, she said. There's definitely some pressure because he thought that Warner Brothers wouldn't release the movie. But we have to, the original cut of the film, the original ending was based off the play, off, yeah. the, off the actual Broadway on the street, right? Yeah. Play. Off, off and Broadway. that was, so it was the, it was an accurate ending to the, what came before it it's also accurate to the faustian legend yeah and so people and so the filmmakers was like hey this is how it goes it's a great ending that makes sense all right audiences are gonna like it and they hated it and i think we're gonna we're gonna get on the disparity later between audience film and theater but okay the ending we're gonna talk about this now we're gonna actually spoil the ending which okay whoo all right so all right so towards the end of the movie uh seymour has killed Killed in quotes. And Audrey two 2's people. big. She's and Audrey 2's big, and he's getting record. He's getting a like a Time magazine deals and all this stuff. He tells Audrey what's uh, that he wants to move away and live with her, and she's like, "Oh, well, we don't. I don't like you because you're famous. I liked you before you're famous." So then he's like, "Oh, I could have done this from the beginning." So he decides to pack his bags and leave. Seymour. Seymour decides Seymour. to pack. Yeah. yeah, but before he does, Audrey two's like, "You need to feed me again." Because you need that that the, the check right that's from the the TV company or whatever. So he's I'll get you some from meat from the butchers and he leaves. But Audrey too is like, well, I'm gonna call Audrey and get her to come over here and then I'm gonna eat her, which is what happens as Seymour comes in. Audrey's feet are dangling out of Audrey too's mouth, but Seymour opens it and pulls her out. And you see this, like, open wound on her, like, stomach. You know it's not good. But then, like, he takes her out, and then it's a different shot, and then she just gets up, and she's like, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> and then you have the final battle. Uh, Seymour destroys Audrey 2. After he finds out that from the 
the guy that took the clippings, that he wants to make Audrey II's like a household name and sell them for profit across the nation. So Seymour stands up, fights, takes yeah. takes out Audrey II. They go to the suburbs, happy happy ever after ending. That's the theatrical cut. In the original version, that wound on Audrey is still there, and she dies in the alleyway. She dies after she knows what uh, Seymour did. And she's she forgives him for it. She doesn't she wants to she wants to give her body to the plant so that Seymour can have a, a better life. And then she will eventually go somewhere that's green. And that, that goes back the to the whole thing. Yeah. Cause she wants to be somewhere green. Yeah. And there's a sequence where Seymour carries her body to Audrey too. And Audrey too eats her. And it's not gruesome, it's it's done pretty elegantly, yeah. Cons- considering how dark it is. Yeah. Um, you don't like see her head being crushed. No, no, no. It's it's actually done pretty tastefully. He, he kind of eats her really slow. Yeah, but I mean, she but she's dead. She's already it? dead. Yeah. So she so that's the first that's the first thing. She dies. Yeah, and then Seymour he tries to kill himself after that. But then the the guy comes in with the clippings, and this time he actually has a little Audrey too, because in the uh, theatrical release, it's it's not made clear that the clippings were taken and replanted it's only in the the intended or the director's cut where you see this audrey too has children yeah out in the world and we don't know how many there are yeah but seymour sees this and he's like no that was that was a plan the plant's plan all along was trying to to conquer the world and then he fights a plant to mean green mother and then and that's and that's basically the same that's that that battle almost plays out exactly the same yeah in the theatrical cut when seymour fights audrey too Audrey one is not in the room because um, she's outside in the alleyway yeah, and they add shots of her looking from the window. <laughs> yeah. But in this original one, you don't see her because she's dead. She's in the plant. And yeah. so the, the, the ensuing fight, the, the fight ensues. The plant takes destroys the shop. Basically, he breaks the Audrey two breaks the uh, the support pillars and the the roof comes down on top of them. In the theatrical cut, Seymour is under the rubble. He grabs a piece of like wiring of, of like electrical cable and sticks it to Audrey, and Audrey like blows up. But After, in this before saying, "Oh shit," <laughs> that doesn't happen in the original. In the original, the rubble falls. Uh, Seymour gets up, but Audrey. Gets his hands on Seymour. Slowly, like, lifting him up to his mouth. As, like, the little plants are harmonizing. (laughs) Yeah. And it's... And you see Seymour scared. He's terrified. Yeah, and you see, like, the the hair blowing back. Like, the wind from, I guess, Audrey II's breath or something. I don't know. And... You're like, and it's doing really... And it's going by really slow, so you're like, okay, someone's gonna come in last minute and save Seymour. No! The fucking plant eats the main character. Yeah. And if you don't, if you're not sure if he's dead or not, she spits out his glasses. Yeah. And all they broken. land like upside down, one lens broken. Yeah. So like, yeah, your he's boy's de- dead. They, they don't men in black it. <laughs> he's dead. Yeah. So the two main characters fucking die. Yeah. And you're like, and, and it gets worse. Yeah. Because then when the guy showed... Seymour the clippings. He's like, "Hey, I don't need your permission to do this. Plants are technically public domain. Vegetables are public domain. Vegetables are public domain. <laughs> so the the plant is sold across America, and because of the the sensation that it was, like on the news and everything, people rushed. To the, they 
burst through the doors. It's basically Black Friday shopping. Yeah. People are trampling over each other. I gotta get my plan. Yeah. And it's all to this like great song. Yeah. Like. And, and like the the chorus comes out to the American flag backdrop, Patton style. Yeah, and they and they they sing. Subsequent to the events you have just witnessed, similar events across the world have played out exactly how you just saw. The songs called that they're about to play is "Don't Feed the Plant." Yeah, because you see what happens when you feed. It's the like plant. there's you see this old couple watching this on the news, and they're like, "Oh man!" And then the chorus is like, "Yeah," and they're coming for you too. And then the vines break through this old couple's apartment complex, like through the TV, and it just like <laughs> it basically the plants take over the world. Yeah, and there's nothing stopping them. The, the what you what you see is massive destruction. I'm talking. Destruction not even, like, really seen in, like, Avenger films. Because at least in Avenger films, you have superheroes, like, fighting back and trying to save people. This is a massacre. It's a <laughs> genocide. You see plants, Audrey's. You see multiple Audrey's. Huge. These are monsters. These are King kong size level mm-hmm. Audrey's. Destroying buildings. Just busting through buildings. Ex- busting through nightclubs. Busting through theaters. Jason and the Argonauts. And-, and you see people running. Mass hysteria. I'm sure I heard a lady's like, what about the children? <laughs> it's it's awful i mean it's great and it's bad it's but it's still like really funny too it is funny the the there's that one audrey too that puts its mouth over like the smokestack and blows and like the building explodes Mm -hmm. then you see it you see one like you see a subway uh, a subway on and one of them opens his mouth and the train goes into it i've seen (laughs) that in cartoons so it's both like horrifying but it's really funny too and the music slaps yeah and it's you're just like, what the fuck is happening? And it, it just keeps escalating too. Like then you see the army show up and they show up like those old sci fi movies with in like the, the Humvee with the, the guns green yeah. suits and everything. They're not using tanks. <laughs> they're just they, using their guns and they're like, What the fuck? You can see one. He's yeah. mouthing, What the fuck? It's <laughs> and it's and it goes on for a while. That's okay, so the what you saw after the test screening, right? This was film, right? So it was all like taped together. After it didn't do well, they had to like cut those film strips out and strip what they could use. <laughs> and then they put in the new stuff that they reshot. Yeah. So the original ending is lost. Yeah. So there was like an old like work print copy that looked really bad. It was because it was in black and white and stuff. The visual effects weren't done. That was on a 1998 DVD. When David Geffen saw this, he was like, this this isn't, why would you do this, Frank Oz? <laughs> why would you release this unfinished, shitty-looking ending? We should, I have the real version. I have the colorized version. And Frank Oz was like, oh, I didn't know. Well, yeah, do, do that. So they recalled the DVD, first ever DVD recall. If you, if you tried to find this DVD, $250. Damn. Yeah. So it turns out, David Geffen didn't have the colorized version, so it was just it was just gone. Unless you got it when it was in 1998, it was gone. And in 2012, some guys at Warner Brothers went through the vault, went through Frank Oz's notes, and reconstructed the ending to put on the Blu-ray release in 2012. So they re- refilmed it, or no, no, no. They re like they they took all the pieces and they put it oh. back together and they colorized it. Oh, 
Okay. Yeah. So that ending, Frank Oz had nothing to do with. But his notes were... They, it was they were... his notes that were used for inspiration. So it's not really the director's cut, but he gave it a seal of approval. You know, So it goes on longer, but that wasn't the ending that the test audiences saw. Dang. I feel like they, they just... Because there's a part where it's like, how many times are they going to bust through that brick wall? They they bust a lot. <laughs> they they do they they, they they destroy so much shit. Yeah. They literally go to the Statue of Liberty yeah, and start con- Statue of Liberty. and they start like the vines start going over the uh, the statue's crown or whatever. It's so good. And you're just like seeing helicopters and you're seeing mm. all these people run and being massacred. The end question mark. And then, of course, the plant busts through the projector. So if you're in the theater, it's like the plant has bust through the projector and is coming to eat you. Which is fantastic. I love that. It is the true spirit of the musical because they did that. They had the vines in the in the crowd and stuff. And they said no. Yeah. They said No. Until 2012, nobody saw the colorized ending. If that ending was finished and in theaters, they would have won that visual effects award. They might have. I. It's a bonkers ass ending, and it's fantastic. It's so. Good. I feel like if I had seen the original, like the film with that, I would be like, "Shit, I don't like. I don't care about musicals, but that ending is worth it enough. Like, because <laughs> the balls it takes. Yeah. To kill. Not just one, but two of your main characters. Pretty much all of, like the the cast was killed. Shit, you're right. Everyone in the cast was killed. Like all the main except characters. Bill Murray. He, yeah, he lives. But I mean, I sure he. I'm sure he wouldn't be opposed to like acts of torture. But <laughs> he'd probably go into the plants willingly. <laughs> yeah, but both main characters who you mm-hmm. think like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna live happily after they die. Horrifying yeah. death, by the way. Yeah. Super depressing, and Ray Seymour dies very pathetically. He doesn't put up a fight. He can't fight. He he shoots the gun, but it doesn't yeah. do anything to Audrey. In the musical, that Mean Green Mother, like I said, the Mean Green Mother song was made for the movie. Mm-hmm. In the musical, he just goes at her with machete, tries to kill Audrey too from the inside, but he doesn't. He gets eaten, and then it goes into "Don't Feed the Plants." And then you, yeah, in the in the film, Seymour just gets wrapped, and you, and as Audrey's too is like. Putting, about putting them in his mouth just Seymour has like the most pathetic looking face yeah. <laughs> and it's like he put he doesn't put up a fight he he dies as he lived pathetically yeah he and even it, gets like pantsed by the, the by the aliens <laughs> or by, by Audrey too yeah in the middle of the song and he Audrey too takes his gun away and starts flipping it around with the vines oh that was great oh my god but this yeah. is, and, and let's get into the disparity of audience, because look, this um, Little Shop of Horrors, at least the Broadway show, was a success. I'm sure it was. Yeah, that's because they, they, how many times did they, it was an off Broadway, then it was a Broadway, and I mean this thing has lasted for. I mean the the play was too. Yes, the play was around for a while, and there was definitely a, the play was received well, and it must have made money for them for the studio to be like, oh yeah, let's make a movie off this fucking yeah. Broadway, right? That's how Hollywood works. Yeah. If there's potential to make money, let's do it. And now here's my problem. Here's just like this. This just doesn't. I I want to know the behind the scenes dealings of this movie. Like I want. I wish I could have been there. Cause look, look. I am not that smart. I am not a film exec. Okay. I am some guy that watches movies in his room too late at night. Like that's that's what I do, right? But just I have the common sense to know. Look. 
if you hand me the off the the, the off Broadway, whatever the fuck the musical fucking <laughs> script, like I want to make this a movie. And I'm reading it. I'm like, okay, this is all right, pretty cool. Talking plant kills people. All right, I'm cool with that. And then I go like, oh, you're gonna kill both characters. Yeah, that's not gonna play well. That's I'm sorry. What, that's what happened. David yeah, the, Geffen, who produced the Offway, he knew the ending beforehand because he was one of the backers of the original production. He's like, I don't know about this. I don't think we should do it. But he he was like, Frank Oz really wants to do it, so I'm gonna trust him. I'm gonna let him do his thing. I, look, I'm not even talking about David Geffen because look, the man, David Geffen and Frank Oz are are people are artists. They're inspired. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they would pursue to make this ending. But like, if I'm if I'm like one of those suits from like Warner Brothers, and I'm like, oh, you guys are looking for some funny, some distribution. All right, let me read the script. Let me see what you guys are doing. I would have been like, oh, you're killing the both main characters. That's not gonna play well. And you destroy the fucking world, <laughs> and you put the end question mark exclamation point question mark. Yeah, no, that's not gonna play well. Now, if the studio had seen that and been like, you know what? It's not going to play well, but we're going to commit to it. If you're going to spend that much money, you should commit to it. Yeah, commit to it. Yeah. But but the first screening that they did, oh, no. Oh, no, this isn't going to work. Well, we're freaking out. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. It wasn't going to work. I could have fucking told you that. I wasn't even born. You could have asked, like, my mom's ectoplasm or something. <laughs> I could have <laughs> told you it's not going to work. That Or if you were scared, but you wanted to make the movie, then, the, then you should have rewritten the ending now i'm not for that maybe audrey one dies but maybe seymour because he loved her so much finds a way to kill audrey too and you you don't we do we don't do the whole destruction thing or or something mm-hmm. you, you try to you try to rewrite it then but you don't film the fucking thing <laughs> think it's gonna work then it doesn't then freak out and then go back five other weeks to film no i just i just don't know what the what the process was and look, man, I, and look, I love movies. I've never been to a Broadway show. I don't I don't go to theater. I don't go to plays. If it doesn't have subtitles, I'm not interested. Okay. No. And that's and that's one of my problems. I try to understand everything that the actors are saying. And with musicals, I have a hard time understanding what they're saying. Not the not not the actual meaning, but the actual words. I asked you to put the subtitles on because I want uh-huh. I need to know what they're saying. That's that's my problem. That's a personal problem. So don't cry for me. But I need I need subtitles of my music because I can't under you know, I'm not someone that can understand lyrics when I'm hearing them in the song. Mm. Wait, I, I forgot where I was going with this. I just, I'm just getting so emotional. Yeah. Why? Where do you think that comes from? What the the emotional? I think frustration. I think it's look. Mm. Frank Oz and David Geffen knew the ending, but they wanted to make that ending. I'm not mm. mad at them. Right. And I'm not mad at them for refilming the ending because in the end of the day, it's a job and they had to commit. They could have left it, but they were going to they were going to do it without them. So they might as well be involved with the new ending. I think where I'm getting emotional is just the fact that in so many people, nobody said like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. And again, I like I like the I like the Mm -hmm. old I like the OG ending. I like it a lot. But if the studio was so quick to flinch. Why didn't they at least think about rewriting the ending before they filmed the fucking destruction? Yeah. It feels like you're mad at the the waste of of money. Because it's an amazing scene. Yeah. And I just... I just... I don't think it was the studio. I think it was Oz being afraid that they wouldn't put his movie in theaters. 
but but that but that's not his I mean that's not his fault that's the fear of the studios but why did they did they not read the script beforehand did they not I don't know actually because if they did it okay that's fine that's if they didn't know about it but but fucking rich people they go to Broadway all the time they should have known yeah I just how could they not know it's a it's a fucking movie that's based off a short story that's based off this other play that was made into a musical and in all those iterations Seymour dies yeah so you didn't know that your main character was gonna die I think like what Frank Oz said was that he noticed two things the effectiveness of close-ups so like when you're doing a show in Broadway, you're not seeing the, the characters, the actors' faces, right? They're doing these big, grandiose gestures for the people in the back. With a movie, you get all the, the nuances of their face, right? Mm-hmm. And Rick Moranis and Ellen Green play their characters really well. You want to root for them. You like them. You love them. So when you kill them in the musical everybody comes out for an encore bow right so you know they're not really dead but in the movie you never see them again they're dead so that's what he thought like why people had such an adverse reaction to it because of the close-ups and because you don't see the actors bow at the end i mean i i think i mean it might be that i think there's just a general disparity between not film audiences and theater audiences because yeah i think look man i've never been to a theater play i don't think most people have because they're pretty expensive it gets cheaper to go to a movie theater. There are movie theaters everywhere. For an actual theater, I'd probably have to drive a bit. So I think the audiences that go to Broadway shows have a higher tolerance. Because, number one, they're paying a lot more. I think mm. I, I think they're paying a lot more. And it focuses... I mean, even it's if... It's something that they're more passionate about. Yeah. Like, and people I, go to the movies... Like just to go to the movie. It's a fantasy. If you if you're going to a theater and you're going in the and you're sitting all the way in the back, you're almost focused in even more because you're trying to capture everything at such a far distance. Mm. Whereas in movies, it's projected up in front of you. You could see and hear everything, and it, I think it's a more casual experience. Some yeah. movie movie theater is a more casual experience, and it's a cheaper experience comparatively. Yeah, people don't want to feel uncomfortable. They don't want to feel challenged. I mean, sometimes they do. But you're, but when you're not. Uh, when you're so comfortable, when you're not challenged, it becomes forgettable. It becomes you know? numbing. I think just people get too, just get way too passive. And I, I mean, again, man, I'm not, I'm not fucking smart. I don't. I've been doing this shit for years, but I can fucking tell you that people don't like this stuff. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Like we we recently, you know, went over Independence Day, right? Yes. yes. And you said that you don't think that the the audience could handle that level of destruction. Right, so they, that's why the way they play it, it's really safe. What Independence Day does, it's yes, they 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 destroy a lot of shit. They destroy yeah. a lot of shit, but I think the difference is it's an unwarranted attack on us. And the entire film is people, these different group of people all coming together, they who may not like each other, but they are like, we have to do this for humanity. We have to kick their ass. And in the end of the film, it does. Like you know that the that the, where the film is going. But with this movie, it's it's. The, the the destruction the mass destruction is human caused Seymour could have just as easily squished the shit out of Audrey too at any point in time or but when it was smaller but it that's that the whole reason he doesn't is because he's put in this like economic entrapment exactly like and so he it, has he feels like he has no choice he doesn't and that's have already, the resources and that's already too close for a lot of audiences yeah 
So the, the fact that, oh, he's just trying to get out of poverty. He's making these shitty decisions because he's trying to get a decent life. That's already hitting too close. And at the end of the film, the destruction isn't brought on. Uh, it, it's brought on because people are just blindly buying all these Audrey's. And they're yeah. dumb enough to feed the fucking thing. Well, like, they, yeah, they get tricked. Yeah. They're, At least Seymour did it to try to get escape a, Skid Row. But all these people are just doing it because they're just they're they just saw blind. it on TV. They saw it on TV and they're blindly buying into what this yeah. they're they're drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. And you don't feel bad for people drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> You're like, you should have known better and not have drinking it. Except that's how the end of the world is brought on because of humans, humankind being stupid yeah. and feeding the fucking plant. It's it's about greed. You know, it's you're punished for our greed. And that's kind of the inconvenient truth. Right. Like that's what uh, Al Gore's thing is all about. Like we'll do this thing for the short term because it makes us money. But long term. Right. Like our fucking state's on fire. <laughs> and, and that's. And and that makes this a deep movie. Yeah, it makes it a deep movie. And I think and the, what upsets me as well is the fact that the new ending. Look, I like I like happy endings. I like I do like it when people live. I I like yeah. it. With, I like but it. But it doesn't make any sense. It like, doesn't. And it's part not, of the money coming in is the the check, right? Because of the the TV appearance that he has to cancel on because Audrey too like faints. He doesn't take the check. So how can they just? Escape Skid Row. What money do they have? They have no. They just have the money from the shop. But is that enough? The shop is destroyed. Right? Yeah. I, I get. I, I guess get, they'd have to like go through the rubble and find like. Cash but that's money. only gonna last them so long. Yeah. Like what? Are, what are they gonna? How do they get that money? And how does Audrey two appear in a garden? Like, if they if they kill the first Audrey, like they why why blew would her up? <laughs> Why would they willingly like, you know, he was kind of cute. I'm going to take a clipping and plant him here. No, it doesn't make sense. And I know that it didn't make him happy. The director. and No, they're they're really upset about it. Like you can tell in interviews, uh, someone like casually maybe like uh, says that, oh, you're not a real Northeasterner. You're not really from New York. But now that this ending is out, now it seems like you were all along. They don't say it that explicitly, but that's the implication there. Yeah. And you can tell Frank Oz is a little upset about this accusation. He's like, I've always been a Northeasterner. I've been a Northeaster all my life. Yeah, that... <laughs> and then Alan Menken takes over and it's like, oh, well, well, you know, theater is different from... <laughs> yeah, they were, they were upset about it, you know, and they worked really hard on it. Like the special effects guy, the guy that did the, the miniature stuff at the end, he didn't believe that they had to they weren't going to use his ending i was going to be i would if i had worked on it i would have been upset pissed beyond belief yeah and i'm I'm upset that like because we need the money we have to and make the audience happy in the end of the day it's a business yeah it's an industry the film has to make money in order to keep uh, living in the mainstream i get it yeah. you know what i'm upset at is just like why number one why they did it in the why first can't place? you chew the fucking bullet Every yeah. once in a while, you get how many movies are released a year? How, maybe three hundred more, uh, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of film. How many of them have happy endings, and how many of them have bad, evil endings? Just take, just it's a hard pill to swallow, but just swallow it. It's a better experience. Mm-hmm. It really is. God, it's just and like I think how angry you are is a testament to that. Because it, it, it's just why why can't why can't endings be sometimes sad? 
Mm-hmm. Why can't you go home and just think about the film a little bit longer? Why yeah. does it have to be so sweet that you have to suck your thumb and be like, oh, well, you know, I, I just, I think it made me upset. And I, it really made my, it ruined my, it ruined my day. God, some of these people can't, can't swallow these fucking pills. Do you know how many video games have like ruined my weeks? Just thinking about the ending, <laughs> Red Dead, Bioshock, Bioshock Infinite. This is the way they end, but that's part of the experience. You have to feel it. Mm-hmm. God, I can't fucking imagine if Red Dead was ever Red Dead Redemption was ever made into a movie, and people were like, "Spoilers for Red Dead." It's like I don't like it. John Marston dies, so then they, so then they like make an ending where he like has a, where he shoots everyone. And yeah, like and his gun only has six bullets. He so, but he still finds a way to Django everyone. <laughs> that's pretty unfaithful to like the westerns that it was based off of, though. Like making him survive. Yeah, no, it it would be a lot it, in, in those westerns. A lot of times the hero dies. They always die, but it's. It, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if rather were a movie. People would be like, I don't like that John Monson dies. You say that we're going to be with him for two hours and then he dies? That's a waste of my time. Suck my dick. Oh, get the f- get out of here. Stop being such a baby. God. Go watch. Like, Gooch just. I just. I don't. It's just. I'm, I'm getting a headache now. I know. You get, you're so heated right now. <laughs> God, I'm getting a headache. I'm getting a fucking headache because of this. Hello, everybody. If you're noticing a change in audio quality, it's because. You know, we rent the room and we ran out of time because we were so heated in our conversation about Little Shop of Horrors that we forgot to record the legacy part of our show and our review section. All right. So should we start with legacy or do you want to give your like grade, your retro grade? Let's go over the review first, actually. The grading? Yeah, the grading. I guess as a a general feeling of it, I'd, I'd have to go like three out of five. I liked it. I really did. Um, but it's just not, like, hitting my soul the way uh, other films have. Um, but, like, as a music, Because, again, I'm not crazy about musicals. I enjoy a few of them. But it's not my go-to genre. So the fact that I enjoyed this film and, like, I didn't fall asleep. Is, Jesus. Hey, man, I, I don't know what it is. But when you've got, like, people, like, in the hills singing about feeling sad i'm just kind of like unless it's like high school musical like i kind of well unless it's like high school musical meaning you prefer high school musical to the sound of music uh yeah (laughs) i don't know what it's granted i am definitely in the minority but uh i don't know i wish sound of music do they even sing original songs in high school musical yeah yeah, they do. Oh, yeah, like, all the okay. songs are original. I'm, I think I'm confusing High School Musical with Glee. Yeah, no, 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 no. Totally different. Totally different. All right, all right. Fair enough. What do you What do you rate the film? You know, this is one of my favorite films, right? But I've got to say, like, because part of the reason why we're doing this is like we're going back and we're looking at these films in a new light, right? And part of that new light is the the production process, and it gets it changes your appreciation of the film, right? So, you know, before I knew all this stuff about the ending and all that, I would have given it a five, right? But I feel like this th- that ending that we got, the, re- the theatrical release ending is so inferior to the true ending, I feel like I have to give it a four. But with that ending, I would give it a five. I, I just think it's 
it's exactly what we deserve. Okay, fair enough. Like, would you bump up your score if you got the uh, "Don't Feed the Plants" ending? Yes. Yeah, I definitely would because I feel like it. Um, it's somehow like the the ending comes out of left field, but it still makes sense though. Like, it's not. Yes. It, it's not like a, it was all a dream. You know, um, right? It's it, it's very appropriate. And the 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 craftsmanship that went behind the original ending, where you know New York is being destroyed, and the uh, the plant going through like the project through the, the the screen, you know, the TV. Yeah, it's it's so it's so enjoyable to watch. The music is really well done. I man, I have to say, I I definitely would have bumped it up. At that moment, I would have forgotten that I'm watching a musical, and I would have like, what the hell is happening? Because it's not just like you know, it it is a special effects extravaganza at towards the end, but also it's like appropriate to the the story. You can't make a deal with the devil and then just come out on top at the end. I mean, you can, but this is definitely not. This is not a film where it doesn't lead up to that. You know what I mean? They make they make bad choices. And they have to pay the consequences. And like, there's little hints thrown at you throughout the movie too. Like her, her song "Somewhere That's Green." When Howard Ashman wrote the lyrics to that song, he knew the ending, and he had the ending in mind. You know that she'd be fed to the plant. So he okay. So in the end, it's more poetic when she does get eaten. Yes, and there's uh, there's it's like a little scene when they're preparing for the funeral, right? They're preparing, they're preparing an arrangement for the Shivas or the Shivas. Rick Moranis, Seymour, he comes in. He's asking, "Oh, what is it? Is it a birthday, wedding, bar mitzvah?" And Audrey says, "Funeral." <laughs> <laughs> you remember, that? like you expect like the this pleasant thing, but it, no, it's it's the funeral. <laughs> yeah, a lot of little things that they did. Now that you're like going back to it, like yeah. They did set it up a bit. It just comes out of that that happy ending kind of comes out of nowhere because her wound just disappears and they just are just able to move away to get their happily ever after. Which just doesn't really make sense. I mean, look, man, I love happy endings as much as the next person, but uh, it just really doesn't. They don't solve their problem. Like they're they're still poor. You know, if anything, they're they're in a worse spot than they were because now they don't have the shop to rely on for money. Or and they don't have the plant, they don't have the TV deal for the for uh, Audrey 2's uh, appearance on TV. So they don't. They only have the money that's in the shop, but that's only gonna last them for so long. Like it's not. Yeah, that's not how life works. Yeah. And yet these characters are kind of doomed from the start. Like it's so embedded in like this classical storytelling, like with the Greek chorus. Like that, that goes back to you know. When the Greeks were making plays, making musicals, you know, like those, it's, it's not true to its roots, you know, that, that happy ending. I mean, it, it makes, it makes sense. So I can understand why people didn't like it because it's not, a yeah. ple- it's not a pleasant ending. It's not, I can't blame people for being upset, but it's also like not everything has to be sweet and, you know. Uh... You can tell like how far removed this is from when we recorded this initially because you were getting so mad, you were getting a headache. Yeah. Oh, I just... that's when we had. That's when we stopped. <laughs> it was. It was beyond annoying. Look, I with how negative it seemed, like how negative the reception seemed. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm not surprised that Pete, that the that the production team had to go in and change it because it is very intimidating. Yeah. To get those numbers and. 
I mean, like, if, if anything, maybe this podcast will get people to change the way they see movies, you know? I don't know. But I mean, we, we could. That's my dream. That That's the dream. But I don't know, man. It's films are, are such an emotional thing. It's hard to, you know what I mean? Like, you can have an amazing, well done film, but it, it just might not attach to your soul and lift you up. You know what I mean? Like, this is a great film, but it doesn't speak to me in that way. And we've kind of been conditioned to imagine films as like like roller coasters, you know, like they're just pieces of entertainment um, when, yeah, they, they are entertainment. They are, but they can be so much more. Where we're especially raised where it's just like books and paintings are art and, you know, music is art and films, films are seen as art, but it's kind of with how, with how many, with how people are talking about it now, it feels like. People are complaining about maybe it, there's a loss of art to it that now it's become very clinical and more like focus group based and leaning more towards pleasing people than challenging them from time to time. Yeah, I think there. I I don't know. I mean, I think they could have taken a harder stance, but man, I don't know. I wasn't on that production team. I don't know what. Yeah, it was it was the eighties. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. I probably would have. I would want to think that someone would have been like, no, like let's commit to it. But again, like having some days thinking about it, it's like. You're kind of in a tough spot. Yeah. And who knows if that ending would have done anything to improve those box office numbers. Who knows? If only audiences were a little more willing to be challenged. Like, not everything has to be really sweet and happy and stuff like that. I know you want that. I, we all want that. But sometimes you kind of need to, like, appreciate some of the negative things and be okay with it lingering for a few days. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, but that's why I, I like it so much. This movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very fun. I, I still laugh watching it after all these years, the musicals are, the music numbers are so catchy. Like the way it's filmed, like they don't waste the medium that is film. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I thought it would have been, yeah, I would have given it five. If, if we, watch the director's cut i give that five even though it kind of goes on too long but uh no i I, that i think it's so crazy that you need time to digest like you need time to let it sit but even the the guy who did the special effects like richard conway he even thinks it's too long (laughs) Nah, i think it's fine i think with how much work that went behind it and you need to and also how many years that it hasn't been seen right no one's ever seen that until 2012 it's like why not just make it the longest thing possible (laughs) like like who, who who cares you know we already made like we it was in theaters it's not anymore if you want to see it put on the blu-ray if you don't just stick to the original ending but i i'm happy with it i thought it was entertaining could have made it could have made it five more five more minutes i would have been fine <laughs> is it looping the the song <laughs> at that point it would be ah okay so let's talk about the legacy that this film had so the musical has a huge following. It was like one of the most successful off-Broadway plays of all time. And it's there's like a revival like every two to three years. And I bet like we are both like one to two degrees away from someone that was in a high school production of Little Shop of Horrors. I'm, I'm pretty sure I know someone that was Seymour or an urchin in a high school production of Little Shop of Horrors. And like, this one caught my attention. In 2015, there was a, a show on the Encores Off Center. I think it's in New York. They got Ellen Green to come back to play Audrey. Really? Yeah. 
in 2015. Like, there's videos of it online. And do you know who plays Seymour? Who? Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, oh, I remember that. I remember he did an interview yeah. with Ellen where he spoke about that. Yeah. That one, I was like, oh, how they do Audrey 2. Audrey 2 is a, a, just a person. They don't even hide the fact that it's a plant. Which, I, it kind of bothers me because part of that production is how do we do Audrey 2? I Whatever, that's just a small gripe. Eh, I don't mind that. I like I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this now, and I'll get back to it later. There was an attempt to make this a Broadway show in 2003. Do you know who Billy Porter is? Uh, the name sounds familiar. He, he won like a uh, Tony. He's on Pose. Oh yes, 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 yeah. Yeah. So he was gonna be Audrey too. Like see you get everything your secret greasy heart And something happened, and they ended up changing direction. He didn't get to play Audrey too. Fast forward to 2016, they their wheels in motion to remake this movie, right? Uh-huh. And I I see a few names of people that are attached, people not attached, but people that are like seriously considered, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to see Lady Gaga. I'm, I'd assume she'd play Audrey. Yo, doesn't that isn't that kind of cool? That's kind of like fit. That's that fit. Yeah, but then I see things like oh, they're also considering Rebel Wilson. Because here's the thing about Audrey is like she's very like granted she has a high pitched voice, but she's soft spoken and she's not like non combative. She doesn't really have that much self confidence. But when you think of Rebel Wilson, you think of someone who stands out, someone who is self confident, someone who won't take shit from people. Granted, she's an actress, so she could act. Yeah, she's also a singer, too. But that's why I think, like, as a, as a natural fit, I think she could go with Audrey, too. Just because I feel like yeah. she could stand up to, like, let's say Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, Jake Gyllenhaal's like, I'm, yeah. I don't want to feed you anymore. And Rebel Wilson's like, just give yes, me I... your <laughs> you know, Or something. something that's a... I see. Exactly. I, I agree. And then I see, like, another name attached or you know, seriously considered for Seymour. Josh Gad? I could I could see that. I could see that. I can I understand that he's, you know, Book of Mormon, he has background in musical theater. But I when I think of Josh Gad in movies, I think of him playing like these unlikable characters. Little Monsters, the Orient Express movie. But he kind of plays like these like gonna betray you in the next act kind of characters. Definitely he's kind of been given a type but I think he could he could get out of it. I could see Seymour. So for Audrey too, remember when I was talking about Billy Porter in two thousand three? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're considering him for Audrey two in twenty nineteen. I'm cool with that too, because I've definitely yeah, it- I've seen him on Pose, and uh, he yeah. recently won an Emmy. And I remember he's in the yeah he did he's in the new film, um, like a boss with uh, Salma Hayek. Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne and Tiffany Haddish. And I like what he brings. I could see it. I, granted, I'm not I don't know too much about his musical ability. I don't really know how to... Oh, he's he can sing. I don't I don't know too much about singing and stuff to be able to say like, yes, this is good and this is bad. I, I can see that. He's, he's a very charismatic guy. I could, I could see it too. I think, it, I think it'd be pretty great. But um, yeah, now 
they applied for a Californian tax credit so that they could film. They get like a tax break if they film in California because they'd be spending money in California instead of like Vancouver or Atlanta or wherever. You know what I mean? Atlanta where everything's being filmed. Yeah. This this is one of 13 movies that are going to get a, a tax break. So the uh, remake is happening? Yes, it is happening. With Billy it's, Porter? Uh, it's They didn't say who's in it for sure. Like if you look up remake... Those are the names that pop up. Billy Porter, Lady Gaga, Josh Gad, and Rebel Wilson. Yeah, so it's definitely happening. And the writer is Matthew Robinson. Does that name ring a bell? Matthew Robinson is the guy that wrote and directed The Invention of Lying. He also wrote Monster Trucks. And he also wrote Dora the Lost City of Gold. Also, Greg Berlanti. Does that name ring a bell? No. He's one of the... uh, producers for the cw's arrowverse berlanti berlanti yes oh yes yeah okay the the last name okay the last name is familiar now yeah he's directing it and the producer is ah mark platt do you know who mark platt is he sounds familiar mark platt was one of the producers of la la land specifically the one that was giving his oscar speech when everybody came on stage and told them that they didn't win Oh, that dude. He was yeah. like, Moonlight, you won. No, no, no. The, not Jordan Horowitz. Okay. He's the other guy. He's the guy giving the speech as people were running on stage telling them, hey, you didn't win. <laughs> oh. Now, the question that I'm thinking is, are they going to stick with the Broadway yes. ending or are they going to... That's that's what I'm wondering. Like, it makes, me, it makes me... Well, this remake makes me wonder a few things. How they're going to go about the ending. Because again... When the first Little Shop of Hearts came out, audiences weren't used to seeing that kind of mass destruction, um, especially in a comedy musical. But now mm-hmm. I think we've gotten more used to seeing mass destruction and being able to disconnect from it a little bit more. Um, so maybe maybe the original ending might do better now than it ever did. But, I mean, another thing I'm thinking about is how they're going to do Audrey 2. If they're going to CGI the plant or if they're going to do animatronics or puppetry because it's expensive and they might just try to keep costs down because the first film didn't make its money back. They might just CGI it, which I'm not opposed to, but there is a beauty. There is a beauty that in the puppetry work that has aged really well. It's, it looks like there's something real in the room with the actors. You know, there's something that they can actually look at and touch. You know what I mean? Like when he, when Seymour like shuts Audrey 2's mouth, like Shut, that's an awful thing to say. Yeah. I don't know anyone that deserves to die. Like that's a real thing that real mouth that he's like holding shut. I think the the CGI is really dependent on the time and budget that they put in. Because I mean, remember Roger yeah. Rabbit? That's a cartoon, but it still looked mm-hmm. really, it still looked like that looked movie. really good. Yeah. So I, I mean, they might. I'm not saying that they're gonna draw him in the 2D format. But I think if they if they plan it right, you know, it could seamlessly go into the set. And granted, he's not actually going to be on there. But I mean, with how talented some of these actors are, um, you know, it's it's incredible. Hailey Steinfeld in, is what is the best part of Bumblebee, because um, she's acting opposite nothing. She's using her imagination, but mm-hmm. you really believe her. You really think like, oh, there is a giant yellow Bumblebee looking. Volkswagen that's in front of her but it's not there's yeah. nothing there's nothing in front of her maybe 
a, a giant stick with like a tennis ball at the end of it so her eyeline is correct i'm curious i'm not opposed to cgi audrey 2 granted though i would like to see them make a puppetry one just because there is something nice and tangible about it that and it still looks good say what you want about little yeah, shop of Hearts, it still looks good the cinematography or the background or whatever but audrey 2 looks amazing um so what else about the legacy you know like there's the piranha plant in the mario world mm -hmm. his debut is in 85 the movie was 86 right mm -hmm. in 87 now piranha plants have lips and they look more like audrey 2 than before before they're just like venus flytraps i'm not making it up you can like look look up how they changed after um, 86 and also i think mario Super Mario 3, there's variations of the piranha plant. One of them is called Patui. Like Tui, because Audrey 2's nickname is Tui. Oh. So I'm thinking that that was a nod to Little Shop of Horrors. But then in uh, Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island, that this came out, comes out in 95, I believe, there's a boss fight where you fight a giant piranha plant. And the piranha plant has like vines and it has like a little face in one of them, you know? So that's obviously Audrey too. And in Germany, they straight up call this boss fight Audrey. But not in not in other copies of the game? Correct. They were like, we don't care. We're just going to do Audrey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in 87, there was this un... It wasn't licensed by Warner Brothers. There's this game called Feed Me. Let me show you the commercial, because it is like, how did they get away with this? It's the game of Feed Me. I'm a hungry plant. Feed me. Whoa. That's Audrey, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's the voice. Mm-hmm. Did they have to play, like, residuals or something like that? No. They didn't. No, they did not. Yo, I would have been pissed. Right? This game is super rare because apparently, like if you read the YouTube comments, um, they talk about how the, the mouth would shut so quickly. It would like hurt the kid's fingers. It's like the object of this game is like you roll the die and then it tells you how many marbles to put in the plant's mouth. Right? And the plant's like a Venus flytrap, very much like Audrey too. And then you got to put the marbles in the mouth and if the, the, the mouth closes, you lose. It's like Russian roulette with Audrey too. <laughs> and the the jingle is it's very much like a little shop of horrors jingle. You even have like the little doo-wop doo-wop from the the background vocals of the, the singers. You know, it's like I see what you're doing with this. No, it's super apparent. So I think that's all for our episode today. Sorry if it's a little long. It's just, it's a very fascinating movie. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot to it, man. Hey, Austin. Yeah? That was a pretty cool episode of Retrograde. Uh, when's the next one coming out? I don't know, George. Do you follow us on Twitter at Retrograde underscore pod? Um, no, I don't. Uh, do you follow us on Instagram at Retrograde underscore pod? Uh, that's a negative. Don't be like George. Make sure you follow us at Retrograde underscore pod. Okay, wait, can you say it again? I'm writing it down. Retrograde, one word, underscore pod. Got it? Now, is that retro spelled retro or in the Latin How retro? How else do you spell retro?
the other way. What's the other way? Tell me. <laughs> uh, retro. 